Good morning, everyone, and thank you for tuning in today. If you need help keeping track, today is Friday, January the 15th. That's right, guys. We're halfway through the month of January, halfway through a month already in 2021. But it's, of course, still not too late to make New Year's resolutions or or maybe any changes you need to make in your life this year. With us today, I'm exciting to present, we're going to do a two-part series this week and next week with Safe Passage. And so today with me, I have Carrie Ketman. She is a non-resident director at Safe Passage. How are you today, Carrie? I'm great, Jody. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. And of course, I ask all my guests when it's their first time on the show, how do you take your coffee, Carrie? Uh, for coffee, I go black. Um, every once in a while, I might mix it up seasonally, but for the most part, on a day-to-day basis, I am a black coffee drinker. Most of my listeners know that I'm just not at that level of adulting yet. I have to <laughs> at least have half coffee, half cream. I I just can't get through it. I try. I, I really do try. <laughs> it's an acquired taste. Yes. But As always, we're not here, of course, to talk about coffee. We're here to talk about domestic violence and not so much maybe um, awareness as, well, we want people to be more aware, but necessarily we're going to actually kind of get into the nitty gritty of what um, domestic violence actually entails. And so first, let's start off with talking about what uh, what is your role at Safe Passage? Well, Jody, I do the direction of the community-based services, which includes the non-residential um, case management components and outreach over our six-county region. Um, it's important that we recognize that we have our emergency shelter as um, a piece of our programming, but we serve far more clients through our non-residential programming than we do Uh, within the emergency shelter. So a lot of what we do happens day to day out in our six county region. And so with that, if somebody's listening today, um, actually, we're going to first start off with if somebody's listening today and they know right off the bat that they're in a domestic violence situation and they need help and they're listening to us right now, how do they contact you guys? Well, um, we have a 24 hour helpline. It's staffed. Uh, like I said, 24 7, 365. They can contact that helpline at 1 877 733 1990. And oftentimes, Jody, that might be the only resource that we provide that client, um, but it's a, a valuable one nonetheless. On, on the other end of that helpline are you know, real live uh, staff members that care and they will listen and they will identify potential next steps. Um, We always try to go over immediate safety concerns during that call, but we we really are there to listen. Um, And, you know, community members can reach out to that helpline anytime. Yeah, super important. And I'm assuming that anything we talk about today, they can get that information from the helpline. Right. And through those options, if they want, if our, if clients call in and want additional services, then our advocates who staff that helpline get the information to our case managers who then uh, go the next step to offer several different things. One being the shelter, um, but also things um, like housing, employment. Um, sometimes it's legal advocacy, just 
being alongside of them if they are filing an order for protection or um, have a legal case if there's been a criminal act and they are the survivor in that situation. Um, you know, it, it could be transportation. It can be um, just to help with organizing next steps and, and to-do lists. And sometimes it's as simple and uh, as just sitting and listening. Yeah, and that is super important as well because sometimes they need to be heard for sure um, and understood. So what what qualifies, I guess, what is the difference between um, somebody that might need shelter help versus a non-residential service? Okay, well, our emergency shelter can be used for a variety of reasons. Um, the, the most use is for those immediate safety concerns. So if we have a survivor fleeing a situation and they don't want anyone to know where they are because our program is free as well as confidential, they can head into shelter and they can plan their next steps from that location, that secure location. Uh, they use that when maybe there's been a, a, an incident of abuse and the um, perpetrator has not been arrested or if there is a pending protective order. Those are the, the times where it's um, most prudent for them to come into shelter. And sometimes they don't have anywhere else to go. Um, they have been in an abusive relationship so long that their options have been stripped um, a lot of times due to the amount of um, sometimes physical abuse, but a lot of times it's mental and emotional abuse. Yeah, and a lot of people don't understand that part. So we'll kind of let's kind of go into that if um, just because maybe somebody listening right now says, well, I'm not being hit. I'm not in a domestic violence situation. Um, is that Honestly, that is, is there other situations in which people are in that um, do stand out as a, a violent situation where somebody does need to seek help and counseling? Yeah, and a lot of this can be on, um, it happens in a cycle as well as on a scale. And when we have engagement with our clients, we, we help to educate them because sometimes they are they get involved in these relationships and it's really really hard when you're in it to see all of these signs um but that being said um if you are out there and you are facing several accusations for what it is you're doing with your time um if you're feeling constantly blamed if you are feeling constantly criticized um, if you're being told, you know, how to dress or how to look, if, if there have been threats made, um, sometimes, you know, yelling and, and being made to feel small, those types of things escalate. Sometimes it's control of money and control of employment. And a lot of times we see isolation, which has been really, really challenging, especially during the pandemic. But We've got um, perpetrators who will um, sort of that that loved one that you have, you notice that they are, um, you know, belittling their friends and family, their support system so that it doesn't become worth it to reach out or engage with the support system that they once knew. So they, they, they start to turn inward and get more isolated. So all of those things can happen 
without any physical violence and it is still domestic violence. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm assuming that the, the longer that that occurs, um, the deeper the person gets into not understanding the situation they're in. Is that a right assessment? Well, I think um, I think you're right, Jody. That you know whether we serve a client that has been in a situation like this for three months or you know three decades, the level of which their self worth and self esteem is affected by by this behavior. And make no mistake, the the domestic violence, the root of domestic violence and sexual assault are power and control. It doesn't have anything to do with you know, the heat of the moment or a rage, anger, those types of things. It's all about power and control. So the longer a client would be, a survivor would be in those situations, um, there is often that much more sort of healing and growing that we are able to partner with them to do. Now, I have to assume that probably more often than not, um, someone will say, but I, I can't, I can't leave my partner. He or she needs me. Um, is that a qualified assessment of, of the situation in that manner as well? Yeah. I mean, for the loved ones out there who suspect that maybe they have, um, a family member or friend or coworker, um, going through the themes of domestic violence, you know, you're going to hear excuses for their behavior. Um, you're going to notice a shift in their self-esteem. You're going to notice um, comments that their care and concern is is solely about pleasing that partner. And um, they also, you know, if it gets to the level of physical violence, you may notice excuses for injuries or maybe Maybe in the summertime, um, somebody's wearing a long sleeve shirt that doesn't fit the season to, to maybe cover up and mask some of the injuries. So there are lots of things that we can look for um, and, and then offer support along the way if we recognize those things happening. Are there, are there any situations where I guess maybe um, if you could meet two people that are domestically violent, towards each other. Um, does that make sense? Yes. Um, you know, we partner really well with our, with our law enforcement collaborators and that, that can be really, really challenging, uh, to determine who the perpetrator is in any given situation. We, you know, obviously leave that investigative piece up to law enforcement per se. But, um, when we do the work with our clients, we, take it a, a level deeper. There's a difference between yourself uh, and being the perpetrator. So um, sometimes perpetrators, uh, the craftiest will use that against their victims. And, um, you know, we hear things like, you know, go ahead and call the police. They're not gonna believe you because maybe there's an addiction. Maybe there's a criminal history. Um, they won't help because maybe there's mental illness and, and different things like that. So we really have to work with our survivors to take a look at, you know, who is 
the perpetrator and the situation and where are the themes of power and control? Well, first off, again, um, just want to remind everyone, if you're listening now and you're in a domestic violence situation, um, well, uh, what areas of the you, uh, you guys cover a large area here in southeastern Indiana? What counties are covered by safe passage? We do. We Our region includes Ripley County and Franklin. We also serve Dearborn and Ohio counties, as well as Switzerland and Jefferson counties. Um, and so let's get that number out again, just in case somebody's listening today and they feel like they need to call maybe just to get information. Sure. That helpline number is 1-877-733-1990, and it is a 24-hour helpline. We're going to take a short break, and when we return, we'll continue speaking with Carrie Ketman with Safe Passage. And we're back. If you've just tuned in today, we're doing the first part of a two-part series with Safe Passage to discuss domestic violence. And with us today, we're speaking with Carrie Ketman, the non-residential director at Safe Passage. So now I kind of want to talk a little bit about, so 2020 was hard on uh, just a regular scale. I mean, it, it it was hard across the board, across the country, across the world. Um, I have to imagine um, that, unfortunately, statistics for domestic violence were amplified in 2020. Is that a correct assessment? You're absolutely right, Jody. We have seen not just an increase in domestic violence patterns, but we've seen a sharp increase in the intensities and what our officers are responding to, as well as what our survivors are coming in and telling us is happening. So um, community-wide, that's all across our six-county region, um, and it matches our state rates as well. Locally, we've seen about five um, domestic violence-related homicides since March, which was the start of the pandemic. And that state, um, that our state percentage since March of 2020 has been a 102% increase in domestic violence related homicides. Now, in your time with Safe Passage, is that um, is, is probably the maybe the most intense um, that it's been with the organization? There's no doubt. Absolutely. So I have to imagine with stress, you, you kind of mentioned this earlier, um, with stress, um, people increase their substance abuse, whether it be alcohol or drugs or um, any other substance out there. Um, and you kind of mentioned, you know, that it, does it fall hand in hand? Uh, are increases with alcohol and substance abuse, um, does that cause an increase in domestic abuse? That's a really great question, Jody. And we have to, um, we do a lot of education in this area because if, if I could tell you how many times we have heard, you know, survivors say that they were under the influence or, you know, that, 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 um, that addiction um, creates the behavior. So that's why um, I, I continue to go back to the power and control. The power and control is exactly what creates that behavior. Now, it's fair to say that those types of things may magnify um, or intensify some of the behaviors, but it isn't the root. Substance abuse um, is not the root of domestic violence. Power and control is. Yeah, and I have to imagine um, that those are all rooted in something else as well. Um, and, and, and so with that, it does would you say that the victims feel like um, it's, their job to 
to try to take care of those situations to try to fix it. Absolutely. And, you know, abusers are pretty, uh, can be pretty crafty in selecting their victims, their survivors. They, you know, they may look for um, certain qualities that make them less believable in their eyes or um, just, you know, there, there are all kinds of ways that perpetrators, um, and that's why we use that word, select who it is that they have a relationship with. So um, a lot of the work that we do on the service side is to just sort of plant seeds and rewind some of those themes and empower. You know, what we do in social work is empower individuals to be their best selves um, and reach the goals that they identify. We walk alongside. We do not... um, We do not determine what those are for them, which can be frustrating to a lot of support systems out there dealing with somebody that they care about Mm -hmm. in a domestic violence situation um, because we hear things like, why don't they just leave or why don't they do this? But we, you know, at Safe Passage really want to promote the conversation on why is this behavior happening versus, you know, the focus on the survivor's reaction. Yeah, absolutely. And I I imagine, you know, with empowering a survivor, um, are there effects to a a victim's to their health, their physical and mental well-being? Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, anytime you are um, dealing with trauma, they have very, you know, they have in the last decade, the, the research behind how trauma affects the brain has provided a lot of um, more concrete proof of how dangerous not only are these relationships for the survivor in the moment, but also how damaging they can be um, when you're under that amount of stress and, and when you're dealing with trauma, it absolutely affects everything physically within you at the same time. Does does domestic violence follow an economic pattern as in would you say um can it affect everyone or does it really just affect low-income families or yeah another great question jody no i mean there the domestic violence does not discriminate between any kind of socioeconomic background um whether there is um low income in a family or a higher income in a family you know, the people that we serve are from either spectrum and everywhere in between. Yeah. And with that, it doesn't, it probably, I, I think I've heard you say a couple of times, you know, with that power and control, um, it, it probably wouldn't matter if you had a bajillion dollars or only $5. Um, it would still be about controlling um, that financial situation. Absolutely. And another thing that it does not discriminate um, is gender um, as well as sexual orientation. So if you've listened closely, you've heard me say perpetrator, survivor, victim, partner. Um, It is not, um, you know, a lot of misnomer out there is that a male is typically the um, perpetrator on a female victim. And that's just not the whole picture. We serve our LGBTQ community, as well as males who, um, 
you know, that's another dynamic when there is a female abuser and they're calling out for help. Um, it's, it's, nobody's going to believe this because, you know, it's, it's female and male with the perpetrator and the, uh, survivor roles. So, you know, it's, it's very important to understand that it does, domestic violence is about power and control, um, sexual orientation, gender, um, and socioeconomic does not discriminate when, um, individuals perpetrate that type of behavior. Yeah, that is really important to know. I've been trying myself. I, I hope I've been careful about it, that the victims can be male or female. Um, it, it happens unfortunately to, to everyone. Absolutely. Um, so with this in mind, if, if you're listening right now and, and you feel like your loved one's in this situation, what can a loved one do to help their the person they care about? You know, loved ones um, have the best interest at heart. They can always give our resources out to the loved ones that they fear are um, experiencing themes of domestic violence. We also have a program for sexual assault Um and um, we have prevention services within our agency as well. So we're doing a lot of school programming, um, you know, right now, uh, mostly virtually, but um, we do serve the community in so many ways to, to end violence. Um, but specifically back to your question in terms of what can a family member do, aside from offering our resources, you know, a lot of times, their loved ones, their survivors are hearing themes of ju judgment constantly. Um, they are belittled. They are criticized. So the number one thing that a family member can do is provide support, just undying support to walk alongside, maybe plant some seeds of what their options look like, what those could be, what, what their goals look like, remind them, you know, of their value. Those types of things go a lot farther than, um, you know, kind of preaching as to what they should do next. And I, I say that um, aside from those acute situations where there is an immediate safety issue and they are in danger, you know. So um, recognizing those times, advocating their, them calling out for help, um, what we do a lot is basic safety planning. Um, if there are code words or different things that they can say when they feel like they are unsafe, um, then those could be things that family members can help with as well. Yeah, and I assume, uh, you know, following along with what you've just said is that you, you as a loved one don't want to fall into that control spot where you're controlling now your loved one. Um, it really wouldn't help the situation. Yeah, exactly. Um, empowerment's about, you know, taking that dignity and taking that self-worth um, that has been stripped from our survivors and walking alongside them to try to identify the ways that they can pick up the pieces and piece it back together. You know, a lot of a lot of our survivors will thank us for what we've done and, um, and within case management and advocacy and, and our our staff is phenomenal each and every one of them would say back to that survivor, no, this is your work. This is what you have done, you know? So their amount of investment and work in themselves, we're just there to mirror um, and advocate for the value of that. 
Well, this has been incredibly educational, and I really appreciate all your information today, Carrie. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add? Um, no, just that we are here both um, with our shelter component, but also importantly during this time, especially when so many are isolated, we just want to make sure that everyone has our helpline and understands that our non-residential services can be there for as much or as little as, um, as our survivors want to pursue. So again, that number is one eight seven 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 three three one nine nine zero. Tune in again next Friday to hear the second part of our series on domestic violence with Safe Passage.